That's pretty good. <clears throat> Almighty God, we are grateful. Lord, we are grateful that you have charted a path for us. That, Lord, you have um, taken us up with you uh, to the Father, that one day we might go where you are going. And, Lord, even now, we pray that you continually allow for us to know the presence of your Spirit, that that Spirit and your Word might be seeds in our heart to bear fruit in our lives. Pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I fell in love with Emily at the age of 15. Now, she was two grades ahead of me, which doesn't make a big difference now, but in high school, it certainly did. And it didn't help that I was her younger sister's friend first, or that when we first met, I was 11 years old, and I was about a foot shorter than she was. But in my sophomore year, I just couldn't shake the sense that if I did not pursue her wholeheartedly, that I would be haunted by what ifs for the rest of my life. And so I did. I pursued her wholeheartedly, but my affection was unrequited for a very long time. Now, she had very few Christian friends um, and thanked God that I could be that for her, but more like, and I quote, a little brother than a boyfriend. But I didn't give up. And by the end, it felt like the entire town of Peterborough, New Hampshire, population 6,000, was rooting for me. Uh, the problem was, of course, because she was two grades ahead of me, she went off to college sooner than I did. She attended college hundreds of miles away, and I was just a junior in high school. But I didn't give up. I took extra classes so that one day when she finally did decide that she would date me, I could graduate early and we could be together. And finally, on December 22nd, 2005, she said yes to giving me a chance. And that began a long, painful three and a half years of dating slash being engaged long distance. Now, I ended up going to college in San Diego, and she went to college in rural Pennsylvania. And we would see each other whenever possible, Christmas breaks, spring break, but it was brutal. What was especially painful were these long goodbyes that we'd have to say. We would stay up irresponsibly late talking on the nights before I would catch a flight to California. And I always felt this urgency to tell her that I loved her, to speak words to each other that would hold us over until the day that we could be reunited for good, finally be together. But, but even in this pain, we were together in being apart. Now, today's scripture reading is really a goodbye. When I think of Jesus this morning, I sense that same urgency and longing. Just a few verses after our reading in chapter 17 of John, Jesus goes out into the dark alone on his road to forsakenness. And this is his last night with the disciples that he loved. The last night before basically everything changes. In John 13, the disciples have dinner together, and Jesus performs the radical act of washing their feet. In John 14, he, he begins his farewell sermon, where he impresses upon them the things that he wants them to remember. I am the, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let not your hearts be troubled. 
I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Abide in me, and I in you. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. And greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when each of you will be scattered to his own home. Will leave me alone. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And at the end of this extended personal teaching, Jesus lifts his head up and prays in chapter 17, what has come to be known as his high priestly prayer, because he offers it up for the whole people. Jesus' time in this place is limited, and this moment could not be more important. So what does he say? What is it that Jesus chooses to say to his disciples and to all of those he names explicitly who will believe because of their words? Let's listen again. I am praying for them. I am praying for, not for praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus' deepest longing is for the unity of the church that the disciples may be one. And, <clears throat> and the oneness, the unity that Jesus prays for here is not just unity for unity's sake. It's not oneness just around anything. It's a very particular kind of unity. It's a unity of love, which is the result of a right relationship with our triune God, who is love. Jesus repeatedly prays that the unity of the disciples is the unity of the Father and the Son, and that the unity of the disciples with the Son brings them into unity with the Father. The Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the Father, and the Son has become flesh to make the Father known to us, so that all who see the Son see the Father and the Son. The Son invites those he loves, all the disciples and those who believe on their account. He invites them all to believe in his word and to belong to him, to be bound up in him and through him to the Father. Now imagine we are all stranded. Imagine we're all stranded on a little shelf on the side of a steep, smooth cliff. And the Father is at the top of the cliff, and he wants to save us. 
and he sends the sun on a rope that is anchored to him. And the sun climbs down. He climbs down the cliff to the shelf and says, all of you look, I am going to climb back up to the Father. I'm the one who is tethered to the Father. I need all of you to bind yourselves together, tether yourselves to me, and through me to the Father. Now, I'm climbing ahead of you, and I'm going to chart a path that, frankly, you'll never find yourself, up to a place you could never get to without me. But believe me, tie your life to mine, and you will live. And please, please keep connected to one another, so that just as I am connected to the life of the Father, you all can share in the same life with me together. Do not be afraid. Trust me. Trust me. That relationship between the Father and the Son and the relationship between the Son and his church is so incredibly and critically important. Jesus wants us to be unified in him. He wants to be the glue that binds us together. And that's what baptism is all about. We are baptized into Jesus, into his body, into one another. That is what makes that sacrament so profound for us to do as a community. And so when we look at the big C church around us, pandemics notwithstanding, we should mourn. We should mourn the brokenness of the body of Christ. We see Jesus' desire. We know his perfect unity with the Father. We confess our hope that the church, all of us together, will one day be the bride of Christ at the wedding wedding feast of the Lamb and new creation. But here and now, we ache for that to be our reality because it isn't. We ache in our bones because we are a broken people, a broken body. Like being apart from someone that you love, a person that you love, engaged but not yet wed, we call this precarious position the already but the not yet. Already united to Jesus. Already sharing in one Lord, one faith, one baptism, but not yet fully made new, not yet seeing face to face, not yet one with one another as Jesus and the Father are one. Already, not yet. And when we celebrate the Eucharist, when we celebrate communion, we're looking backward to Jesus' own broken body, but we're also looking forward to the wedding feast of the Lamb, the wedding in which all of us truly will be perfectly made one. And in looking back and looking forward, here and now, we become more fully what we already are, one people, one body, who belong to him and to one another. But in this season of separation from each other, I think we're experiencing a longing for unity in a whole different, in a whole new way. All of us ache in a whole new way for being with each other. We feel our broken fellowship in a strange new time, a protracted absence from one another, those whom we love. For years, 
Emily and I had to subsist on hour-long phone calls and occasional Skype calls. There wasn't Zoom at the time. It was good to be connected, but it also sharpened our discontent for the situation that we were already in. And in this season, when we have been separated by coronavirus, COVID-19, we feel now more than ever perhaps our need for unity, our need for one another, our need to belong deeply to one another. And we just can't do it, not in the way that we all want. When we begin to worship, it will be an already, but a not yet. We will be together whenever that is, six feet apart. We will see each other, but covered in masks. We will rejoice, but not with congregational singing. And we should expect for our desires to both be alleviated and at the same time for our desires and discontent to be accentuated. And I want to suggest that as we cautiously move toward greater levels of unity as a church, that we see this season as a symbol of our deepest and fullest longing for all things to be made new, for Christ to bring full and true unity to his body and to all of creation. Practically, this may be a difficult season for us. Our families and friends and each of us may have different levels of comfort. We might have different reasons for having lower or higher levels of risk, different appetites for what to do as we start opening up and the world around us starts opening up. And it will be easier for some of us to participate in the stages of reentry than others. And that may occasion awkward conversations and difficult times with people that we love. I would encourage all of you as we start producing documents to read through things that sort of set the standard for how we as a church are going to be approaching um, our interactions with one another. Um, those are going to be coming out pretty soon. But what does it mean for us? in this place, in this strange season, to be one as Jesus prays for his church to be one? How can we, even if painfully and awkwardly, lean into unity in a time when we're apart? Well, I want to suggest that our deepest unity is found in love. That starts with, as Ryan preached so well last week, abiding in Jesus, remaining in Jesus, subsisting in Jesus, finding our joy in Jesus. It starts, it ends with Jesus, with his own life, the life that he shares with the Father, carving out space and time for us, each of us, to be known by love that God is. And if that sounds too abstract, I, I want you to try this sometime. And this might be difficult if you've got a family and you're all crammed into an apartment together. But try to find time by yourself and sit in silence for a few moments and focus on your breathing. And as you inhale, pray inwardly, you are in me. And as you slowly exhale, pray, I am in you. And if there is a place of particular pain or anxiety or insecurity that you wrestle with, name it out loud, speak it out into the world. 
then pray, your grace is sufficient for me. Your power is made perfect in weakness. Because God desires union with you, not for anything that you can do, but for who you are. The truth is that the places of pain, of unyielded insecurity and unsubmitted pride are really the barriers to our union with Christ. But they also are walls that we construct in our own hearts to to bear each other and Christ from coming into those places. And laying them down for him, they can be scary. It leaves us exposed to ourselves. But in, in inviting Christ into union with us, particularly in those places, frees us. It frees us from the weight of carrying them or the shame of hiding them, even from ourselves. And when we find union with Christ there in his own life, we make that life available to us in a whole new way. But the union with Christ is not just about us. It's about what makes po- the possibility it makes for unity and love of one another. Just as Jesus' relationship with the Father opens up transcendent love to us, so also relationship to the Father allows for us to have fuller, more truthful and truly loving relationships with one another. And when we look, because when we look for validation and purpose and affirmation or meaning primarily in each other, it makes it so much harder to receive each other, each person in our lives as a gift. The sources of disunity in the church, of pain and strife in the body come from our own insecurities being prodded at and inflamed through our relationships with one another. And the more that we find union with Christ in those places of grief in our soul, the fuller the union that is possible for us to have with each other. The more we receive from Jesus the love of God, the more love we have to give to others. And this isn't just abstract. It's utterly practical, especially now, when we all need to have exceeding grace for one another. We need to hear each other, not with suspicion or baggage, but rather with generosity of mind. And words from 1 Peter come to mind this morning. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And, and here are two examples, I think, of what being more uh, united in this time could look like, of loving one another and letting it cover a multitude of sins. Third, have extra grace with people in your life who have different risk comfort. For some, that means not judging those being more lax in the way that they approach coronavirus. And for some, that means respecting people's desire to keep a nice small circle. Avoid assuming intent with each other. And because we're operating on Zoom and email, body language is almost flattened out, tone gets flattened out, and it leads to more misunderstandings with one another than if we were in person. Work on your own soul, not to assume the worst of each other, but to read one another with as much charity as is possible. We are one in Christ. One day that union will be perfected in him. And until then, 
We live our relationships stretched across physical and spiritual space. Jesus, though, charts the way for us. In this already, but not yet, the way is him. The way is love. And that love makes our union as a body possible. Let's pray together. Almighty God, even as we hear scripture like this, we know how deeply and profoundly we are not united as your church across the world. So Lord, we ask that you continue to move us toward greater unity. And Lord, that starts, it starts with our own love of you, that we might know your love and union with you. And that through giving up places of pain and insecurity, that Lord, we might truly receive each other as gifts. I pray for Church of the Cross, that Lord, you would be in us and among us and, and through us as the love that we need to be united one to another. I lift this up in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.